California dreamin'. It's not just a classic song, it's a mindset. A goal of living a laid-back lifestyle in warm weather, where the beaches, the mountains, and big cities are perfect neighbors. But living out west isn't just for the carefree. It's also for the dark and twisted. Criminals who see a landscape with plenty of places to kill and hide all at the same time. Make no mistake, California is the land of milk and honey but it's also home to some of the most cold-blooded killers in American history. But who's the worst of the West? Number one, which only I know at this point, actually serves up a two-for-one special of heartless monsters. Hey all you weirdos, welcome to Crime Countdown, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Ash. And I'm Elena. Every week we'll highlight 10 fascinating stories of history's most engaging and unsettling crimes, all picked by the Parcast research gods. This episode we're counting down the top 10 cold-blooded California killers. I feel like people over here view California as like this wild place where dreams come true, <laughs> especially when you're younger. Yeah. Like when I was like 10, I was like, I'm going to California, mama. <laughs> mama. And I was Southern all of a sudden. But I think like the older you get and maybe the more into true crime you get, you realize that California is just downright creepy. Yes, that's exactly it. Because I definitely grew up like... You know, we're from Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. I grew up looking at California as just like Hollywood and just like <laughs> glamour. But as soon as I started getting into true crime, I saw that it was like headquarters, like the mothership for some of the worst killers and criminals in history. I've been to California once as an adult or like a couple of times as an adult. And I think it was actually a pretty good mix of what I thought it was when I was younger. Like, there's definitely some like Hollywood glamour that at least is like a facade of Hollywood glamour. <laughs> and then there's just these spooky, spooky, like very historical places that will give you the creeps. So it's a good mix. Yeah, I could see that. But honestly, I feel like it even goes deeper than that. Like somehow all of these cold-blooded criminals just find their way to California. <laughs> it's like a magnet. It really is. They're especially depraved monsters who just prey on people looking to make their dreams come true or just like real people just living their dang lives. It's true. I mean, the first cold-blooded Californian that comes to my mind, like when I was trying to think of who's one of the worst was the Night Stalker, like Richard oh, Ramirez. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, he's one of the worst monsters I have come across. We covered him on Morbid, and whoo, like going into that whole case was insane. And he wasn't even the original California Night Stalker. Like, that's wild. And the fact that California has two Night Stalkers, like two yeah. like very notorious Night Stalkers. And that they are equally as awful in totally different ways. It's so scary. We might as well say it right now that some of the details regarding each of these cold-blooded California killers might be a little tough to hear. Yeah. Especially when we get to number one, you're going to need a palate cleanser handy after all of that, my friends. You might actually need one of those like mind erasers for Men in Black after yes. some of these. I yep. know some of mine at least. They're bad. Yeah. Well, Elena has five cold-blooded California killers and so do I, but neither of us knows who is on the other's list. Let's start the countdown. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. 
With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. A new true crime podcast from the team behind Up and Vanished. In 2016, adventurer Justin Alexander was invited on a trek by an Indian holy man. They headed to a spiritual ground in the Himalayan mountains, a place beyond civilization. The holy man returned and said nothing, but Justin was never seen again. What happened to him? Dive into our investigation in Status Untraced. Available now. Listen for free on Spotify. I'm Tanya Mosley. In 1987, my sister Anita vanished without a trace. Decades later, thanks to DNA, we found her. But that's only the beginning of the story. She Has a Name is a new audio documentary that explores the search for redemption, confronting trauma, and healing in the face of unimaginable loss. Subscribe now to Truth Be Told Presents She Has a Name, where every revelation brings us closer to the truth. 10. I'll start us off with number 10, the Santa shooter, Bruce Jeffrey Pardo. A week after Pardo's divorce from his wife Sylvia was finalized in 2008, the 45-year-old dressed up like Santa and headed over to his now ex-wife's family's home. It was Christmas Eve, and Sylvia's whole family was celebrating the holidays. Gun in hand, Pardo rang the doorbell, opened fire, set off explosives, and ignited a fire. Nine people were killed. Terrible. Bruce, Pardo, and Sylvia had been married for a couple of years before Sylvia filed for divorce. It was a really messy divorce, but just before Christmas 2008, it was all finalized. Not an easy thing to go throughout the holidays, but this could have been a moment to be like, you know, Heading into a fresh new year, fresh start, new me, new life. You know, it could have been great. This is going to be a new year for both of us. Yeah, it could have just been a nice clean slate. You clean break, get out of there. But not for Pardo. A week later, Christmas Eve, Sylvia and her family, the Ortegas, were having a Christmas party at her parents' home in Covina, California. Bruce Pardo shows up dressed as Santa. He rings the doorbell, and the second the door is open... He just starts shooting. You open the door to that. Santa. To Santa. And there's little kids like all around this house. Most of the adults were in the front of the house near the door because they were all preparing to leave. Most of the younger kids were in the back near the TV, probably playing video games, something that saved most of their lives. Thankfully. Even after some family members were shot, they tried to get back up and stop him which is just horrifying to think about. Like what a family like sticking together like in the very end. Now, according to the LA Times, Pardo reportedly sprayed a flammable liquid around the house. He then set the house on fire and caused an explosion with a homemade device he brought wrapped as a gift. That's so messed up. And he like, obviously he planned that. Like that's so It gets worse and worse. It really does. It's like a bad movie. It is. Between the gunshots and the fire, Pardo killed nine members of his ex-wife's family that day. Also, according to the LA Times, Pardo, quote, had planned to escape and had bought a plane ticket to Illinois, but he was badly burned in the explosion and ensuing fire with second and third degree burns on his arms. Good. Serves you right. 
He instead drove to his brother's home, where he took his own life. One family member summed it up by saying, quote, he wanted to kill everyone. A monster. A monster. That man was a monster. Reminder, mass murder is not the answer to rejection. No, it is not. Nine. At number nine is Carrie Stainer. Stainer grew up near Yosemite National Park in Northern California. Friends say he was a quiet, nice kid, but as an adult, he became a cold-hearted killer, tarnishing the serene reputation of the park by brutally murdering four women. There's some elements of Stainer's childhood we have to talk about that are not an excuse, but maybe a catalyst to his violent ways as an adult. As a kid, Stainer had a younger brother who he was very close with that was kidnapped for years before finally returning home. Like, so traumatic for everyone involved. Oh, yeah. During the seven years his brother was missing, Stainer became a different, more conflicted person. ABC News reports that he consistently wore a hat because he was pulling his own hair out. Ooh. And he'd expose himself to his sister's friends. Not healthy outlets for his emotions, clearly. Yeah, he definitely needs someone to, like, steer him into a better way of, like, grieving or dealing with that. Yeah, we need, like, a a trauma therapist here. Later, his brother tragically died in a motorcycle crash, and an uncle he was close with was shot and killed. A reporter who covered Stainer's story told ABC at this point, quote, Stainer had a couple of nervous breakdowns, one of which was fairly violent. Seeking some kind of refuge, in 1997, Stainer started working at the Cedar Lodge in Yosemite National Park as a maintenance man. So you're like, okay, he's trying to just get away and be by himself for a little bit. Yeah, seems like it would work. Out in a national park. Yeah. Quiet, relaxation. Yeah, just zen, you know? Yeah. No. No. Two years later into the job in February of 1999, Carol Sund, Julie Sund, and Sylvina Peloso were staying at the Cedar Lodge in Yosemite and went missing. The bodies of all three women were found weeks later. Carol and Sylvina were found in their burned out rental car in the woods, and Julie's body was later discovered near Lake Pedro. Police conducted interviews, including with Carrie Stainer, but he was released. That's always so crazy when that happens. I know, and the, I can't imagine like how they would feel after yeah. that. They're like, oh my gosh. Then another murder. Joey Ruth Armstrong's body was found on July 22nd, 1999. She had been decapitated. And imagine that too. You talk to this guy, released him, mm-hmm. and that's what he does next. I feel like it was almost like he did it as like a ha ha, yeah. like gotcha. Yep. If it's not clear yet, Carrie Stainer had no soul. Yeah. He could have also taken up hiking, being that he lived in the most beautiful, serene place. That's what I was thinking. I was like, this is a perfect place for you to like get your mind at ease. I was literally just going to say, get your mind right. Yeah. Well, Carrie Stainer was questioned again, but this time just went ahead and confessed. Wow. He also wanted producers to make a movie about him because his brother Stephen had a movie of the week made about him. Wow. It's like really that complex that you've got there, buddy? It's a little different situation, Carrie. A little bit different. You're not really like a hometown hero. No. He was, of course, convicted and given the death penalty. Wow, Carrie. Eight. Number eight on our countdown of cold-blooded California killers is the monster of Atwater Village, Timothy McGee. This killer takes us to San Quentin State Prison, where at the time of this recording, he's sitting on death row. 
He was, and probably still is, a loyal member of a California gang who's been described as a, quote, thrill killer. Hate that. It's possible he killed at least 12 people, if not more, in the late 90s up until around 2001. Atwater Village is a neighborhood in Los Angeles in an area controlled by a well-known gang for years. Timothy McGee was the gang's, quote, shot caller, according to the LA Times, who waged a campaign of terror in the northeastern part of Los Angeles. Anyone who, quote, wages a campaign of terror is someone who is beyond cold-blooded, in my humble opinion. Yes, in (laughs) mine as well. Waged a campaign of terror. Wow. Not everybody gets that description. Yeah. Like the only other person I can think of that I could describe as that is like when my youngest won't sleep for like three days. That's waging <laughs> a campaign of terror on us. So that's it's a pretty facet bad. of that. <laughs> so he's thought to have murdered several rival gang members, including one in 1997 that was shot 28 times. Like at that point, what are you even doing? Talk about overkill. But McGee also killed at random, including in 2000 when he murdered a 16-year-old boy because the boy had the same nickname as him. What? Huh? You know how many people in this world are called Ash? What? Are you kidding me? LA Times reported on an LA deputy district attorney as saying, the one quality that I've seen in him that I have not seen before is a quality that is more typical of a serial killer. They enjoy killing. Adding to his heartlessness, McGee would then write rap lyrics about the murders he committed. The 2000 murder of the 16-year-old was the catalyst for an international manhunt for McGee in June 2000. Authorities issued a warrant for his arrest and went looking for him. They caught him in February 2003 in Bullhead City, Arizona. He was prosecuted and sentenced to death in January 2009. Once in jail, though, his violent ways didn't stop. He instigated riots and on one occasion attacked two guards. A literal holy terror to society and beyond. Yup, yup. Dude is wild and he is only at number eight. Yeah, that one is a lot. Yeah. Seven. At number seven this week is the grim sleeper, Lonnie Franklin Jr. Franklin was finally convicted in 2016 for killing 10 people and one attempted murder in Los Angeles between 1985 and 2007. That seems like a long killing career, but he's called the Grim Sleeper because there was more than a decade in that span where it's believed he took a break from his crimes, though that can't be completely confirmed. He's just not linked to any known victims in that time period yet. Well, in 1985, Lonnie Franklin Jr. killed for the first time by shooting his victim with a 25 caliber gun. He went on to use that same weapon in nine other attacks while assaulting and strangling even more victims. He also kept photos of his victims as trophies in his own house. 25 years later, on July 7th, 2010, authorities arrested then 57-year-old Franklin at his home in Los Angeles. He was sentenced for his crimes on August 10th, 2016. But one giant question always remains with this case. His nickname comes from the 14-year gap in his crimes. But was he actually on a break or was the LAPD to blame? Ooh. Some in the community say police didn't seriously investigate because the victims were black and they were poor. Plus, many were drug users and sex workers and considered less dead. That wouldn't be shocking. Which is so ridiculous that that even happens. Neighbors described Franklin as friendly and quiet 
just one reason Franklin didn't fit the profile of a serial killer. It also makes him even like creepier and chilling. Yeah, the fact that he could just like tip his hat to his neighbor and like, hey, and you're just going like, on. that was my neighbor. Yeah. Like, no thank you. Plus, over 80% of serial killers are 20 to 30 years old and white. Franklin was black and was into his young 30s when he killed his first victim. Wow, that's crazy. Which again is, you're right, crazy. Yeah. Regardless of the 14 year gap, he was finally caught using DNA collected. DNA. <laughs> we love DNA. And it was collected from the crime scenes and linking that DNA to one of his relatives whose DNA was in the system. This was one of the first cases of familial DNA being used in a case, and police were later able to collect Franklin's DNA from a discarded pizza crust and yes. make the match. Like, talk about iconic. I love that they can do that now. It's great. It's like, hope you enjoyed that pizza, buddy. I'm going to take that real quick. <laughs> As we mentioned, Lonnie Franklin Jr. was sentenced to death on August 10th, 2016, but he died of natural causes while sitting on death row in San Quentin State Prison in 2020. Six. Also on our list at number six is the trailside killer, David Carpenter. In the late 70s, early 80s, Carpenter stalked and murdered at least eight people on hiking trails near San Francisco. In most cases, he led his victims off the trails and shot them using a 38 caliber pistol, but only after utilizing psychological torture and often making them beg for their own lives. Before his hiking trail killing spree, in 1960, David Carpenter was sent to prison for attacking a woman with a claw hammer. And he got out how? Casual. SF Gate reported that, quote, a military police officer who ran to intervene said, quote, even when he saw me coming down the hill, he kept hitting her. So let this set the tone of how cold-blooded this man is. Because I can connect everything back to Bravo, I'm actually pretty sure that that woman was Lisa Rinna's mother, <gasps> Lois. Lois? Yes, a sweet Lois. She got... Almost murdered with a claw hammer? Yeah, and Lisa Rinna talks about it on an episode of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. That's wild. Yeah. Like, blowing my mind. And I love Lois. I love Lois. I'm so glad she was okay. But can you imagine that guy's like, I'm coming down the hill and he's still hitting her? No. That's Lois. Oh my goodness, you just blew my brain apart. Well, thankfully, Lois survived. Yeah. Carpenter served nine years and was released in 1969. At one point during the era... Carpenter was thought of as being the Zodiac Killer, but he was clearly imprisoned during the time of those murders because of his claw hammer attack. So, uh -huh. weren't weren't. There goes that. Yeah. We're always trying to link someone to the Zodiac Killer. <laughs> Seriously. Carpenter then spent another nine years in prison again for a string of crimes that included kidnapping and robbery. Just those. Just those very casual crimes. Yeah, you know, petty crimes. He was released in May 1979. Why are they still letting him out? Well, because it's like, you have to look at the rap sheet. Like, it's yeah. not like just these things. It's like, group those things together. We've got a very dangerous criminal like, on our hands. We have somebody who tried to kill a woman with a claw hammer. You uh, let that him alone out, should be enough. And he immediately kidnapped and robbed. So, like, are we seeing a pattern here? Probably not reformed, my dudes. Probably not. Just a few months later, on August 19th, 1979, Carpenter's reign of terror as the trailside killer began. No, thank you. He killed his first victim, a woman hiking in a park overlooking the Golden Gate Bridge. He went on to terrorize Northern California hiking trails, stalking possibly more than 10 victims, torturing them, and then killing them. 
Hiking is such a big deal in California. It feels like he exploited this on purpose. Yeah, 100%. He definitely did. After an investigation that included creating a profile of the killer and numerous tips, in May 1981, the trailside killer was finally arrested. He was tried twice. One of the main witnesses in the case was a survivor of one of his attacks that Carpenter had shot and left for dead. Oh my God. Can you imagine then coming in and testifying? And having to sit there right across the room from him? Oh, he was convicted and eventually sentenced to death. At the time of this recording, he's in his early 90s, still sitting on death row at San Quentin. By the time you're listening to this episode, it's possible he's not alive, but doubtful at the hands of the state of California most likely just from age. Yeah, probably. Wow, I can't believe we related Real Housewives back to that last one. I love that you were able to do that. Yeah, I love Lisa Rinna. It's a skill. It is. Um, Also, I think I needed to go to that place in my mind because so far this is so terrifying. We're halfway through and I'm like, how? The things we've already talked about. But you know what? There was a few that I knew were on my side that I'm like, I can't wait to talk about because it's so crazy. Mm. And there's a few that I'm like, do you have them? I don't know. I gotta know. Because you have number one. I have a two for one. I told you. A two for? A two for. And it's not a combo you'd like to order at the Wendy's drive-thru. Definitely not. No. Robbing trains, rustling cattle. Pop culture usually depicts the Old West as an uncharted land with no rules. But how much of that is true? Now you can find the facts, learn the lore, and tackle the tallest of tales in the Spotify original from ParCast, Wild Wild West. Every Thursday on Spotify, settle up to the saloon to hear about the American frontier's most ruthless outlaws and heroic gunslingers. Wild Wild West features a compilation of episodes from shows across ParCast Network and focuses on the legends that help shape American culture. From sharpshooters and explorers to family feuds and lost treasure, the West has a history more complex than you know. Don't be a yellow belly. Follow Wild Wild West free and only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Five. All right, let's jump back in with number five on our countdown of cold-blooded California killers. Starting off the second half of our list is the Zodiac Killer. You knew he was going to be here. A letter arrived at the San Francisco Examiner in July of 1969 with a coded message that included the phrase, quote, I like killing people because it's so much fun. Oh, that is just a glimpse at the chilling mind of a killer who, if this countdown was based more on notoriety than cold-blooded actions, would probably be number one. But make no mistake, the Zodiac was unapologetically merciless in the way that he killed. 
You could argue that the Zodiac is possibly the most well-known serial killer to come out of California, don't you yeah. think? Absolutely. Oh, I would say so. You're never going to run into someone where you go, have you ever heard of the Zodiac killer? And they're like, oh no, tell no. me all about it. Who's that? They're going to be like, yes, of course. Right? Duh. Most people listening know most, if not some pieces of the story, like we were just saying. Like the cryptograms, the cat and the mouse game with the cops, the crosshair symbol. He was very theatrical. He was. Between 1968 and 1969, according to the Zodiac himself, he killed 37 victims. Authorities officially confirmed five of those to be at the hands of the Zodiac. He killed throughout Northern California, but the terrifying part was that his location seemed random and mostly lover's lane type situations. Yep. Like how much colder do you get than taking out young people in love? It's like Son of Sam. It really is. You're right. Now, not only did you never know where and when he would attack, but the cruelty of how he killed was just ruthless. Wearing an executioner-style hood, his attacks ranged from walking up and shooting his victims on the spot, binding some of them with rope before killing them, to savagely stabbing several victims. See what's so brutal and scary about the way he would do it? was he did it in every way you can imagine. He doesn't have an MO. And everything was different every time. And just like a lover's lane location, that's like the least, yeah. like you least expect that to happen there. At least back then you would. Now I'd be like, don't even park there. And to this day though, what we don't know is who this man is. I can't. It's so crazy to it's me. It's bonkers. SF Gate posted three theories as to why he hasn't been caught. DNA testing wasn't available and there's no clear DNA evidence to test. Ugh. The police sketch wasn't helpful because it looked like every normal white man. Sure did. And despite the obsession over the letters he sent newspapers, they were pretty useless. I know. It's like, that seems like it should be such a like smoking gun, but... And a lot of times people feel like it is. And actually recently they solved one of them. Yeah. In 2020, the New York Times reported that one of his ciphers had finally been solved. It read, I hope you are having lots of fun and trying to catch me. See, that's not helpful. See, not at all. Because the answer is no. I'm not. I'm not. We're, nobody's having fun here. And two, what? Like, why are you wasting your time writing this? Sign your name. Also, the time that man must have had. He definitely yeah. didn't have a job, I feel. No, for sure. In July 2020, we did a full Crime Countdown episode on Zodiac Theories. So if you want to revisit this case in depth, you can check that episode out after this. There's some crazy theories. Four. Landing at number four this week is Ed Kemper, the co-ed killer. I was wondering where he was going to be. You knew he was coming. Kemper is a California boy born in Burbank, California. It's reported he moved around 18 times before he turned 16, but eventually Santa Cruz County along the central coast of California would become his home and the place he haunted with his disturbing murders and necrophilia in the 60s and 70s. Kemper's mother, Clarnell, was reportedly an alcoholic who was extremely overbearing and abusive, locking him in the basement at night to discipline him. That's really sad. So messed up. Kemper's half-brother puts a lot of blame on Clarnell for Kemper's behavior and his rage towards her, telling one news outlet his mother was a complete alcoholic psycho. She was the cause for him turning out the way he did. He will die cursing her name. Wow, that's intense. It is. It's also like you can feel bad for little Kemp's, but you but not can't feel bad Kemp's. for big Kemp's. He went to live with his grandparents in 1964 when he was 15 years old. He killed his grandparents and admitted what he did. Mm -hmm. Brutal. 
A lot of people say that his grandmother like reminded him of his mother. Yeah. So people think that was like his way of getting back at her. Right. Kemper spent six years in a state hospital as a result. He was released back to his mother at the age of 21. And this is always crazy to me because it's like he did that horrific thing and then spent six years in a hospital Mm -hmm. that's supposed to rehabilitate. Right. And he came out and did what he did. It's like, whoa. And he like almost perfected his mind and he escalated and everything. So May 1972, he transferred his rage to young college women. He picked up two Fresno State University students and began a killing spree. Kemper went on to kill six more people, including four more female students, hence his nickname, and then his own mother. When it came to the murder of his mother, Clarnell, Kemper said in 1984, quote, I said, it's not going to happen to any more girls. It's got to stay between me and my mother. I said, she's got to die and I've got to die or girls are going to die. And that's when I decided I'm going to murder my mother. I knew a week before she died, I was going to kill her. Ooh, that's so haunting. Chilling. So chilling. And they're like coexisting in the same house. And all the while he knows that he's going to kill her. He's just planning it out in his head. And she's just like walking around doing her day to day. And for him to sit there and say like, I had to do it or more girls were going to die. It's like a hero kind of thing. Well, and he's removing himself completely from the action of it. Like, Mm -hmm. it's very passive of him. They're going to die. No, they're not going to die. You're You're going to murder them. them. They're not just going to drop dead. You're going to do it. It's crazy. And then he just makes it like he's the hero of the story. Yeah, of course. He's saving these girls from just dying. Well, here's a cold-blooded fact. He often dismembered the bodies and had sex with some of the body parts including his mother's head. That will never, ever hit different. It always hits the same. It hits the same every time. It really does. Kemper's half-brother also says the family lives in fear of Kemper's possible release, and they hate his celebrity status. Three. Number three on our countdown of cold-blooded California killers is the Freeway Killer, AKA the Scorecard Killer, Randy Kraft. Kraft's double nicknames help describe the cold nature of his crimes. When he murdered at least 16 men between 1972 and 1983. The name the Scorecard Killer came from the fact that he kept a list with references to his victims. And the Freeway Killer is a little more obvious in that many of his victims were discovered along freeways. What he did to his victims is indescribable, and it's possible there are over 60 victims in total. In the late 60s, early 70s, Kraft worked as a bartender. Ooh. He worked in Long Beach, California, and it was after he was discharged from the military. The bar that he worked at and the bars in the surrounding area were the perfect draw for tons of SoCal travelers that Kraft would target. His first attack in March of 1970 was on an underage runaway who escaped and got help. Ooh. Very like Jeffrey Dahmer-esque. Yeah. When he took police to Kraft's apartment, they kicked open the door and found the boy's shoes and tons of drugs used to sedate him. Good news, the boy wasn't lying and they could stop a predator right there. Bad news, 
they didn't have a warrant to kick that door open. Ooh, I was going to say bad news. They didn't. But it's like, sometimes can we just override that? Yeah, it's a rough one. You know what I mean? I mean, you can't just go kicking doors open. But it's rude, but like, you gotta it get worked. the job done. Sometimes, it, you know, a broken clock is right twice a day. There you go. So there it was. Well, and they should have just let them gotten away with it. Because the next year, in October of 1971, the body of a 30-year-old gay bartender was found along Highway 74 in Orange County. This is suspected to be Krapp's first murder victim. The next year, more and more bodies began to be discovered that had been abused in various gruesome ways, including bite marks, bruises, dismemberment, castrations, and sodomized with objects. Oh, this is horrific. It really is. The exact details of what he did with his victims' bodies is so horrifying, we're not sharing more than that. Then jump to May of 1983. Kraft, who's gotten away with the most twisted murders, got pulled over for a DUI with another victim in the passenger seat. Stop. Like, double whammy. Police also found a list in his car's trunk. It's his scorecard dating back to late 1971 with the names or information on 61 victims. It seemed pointless to say, but Randy Kraft was sentenced to death. He's currently at San Quentin Prison. Hey! With some of our other friends from the countdown. They're all just hanging out there being smelly and gross. Nasty. Rotten together. It really is crazy how many of these people are just chilling in San Quentin. I know. San Quentin is like, woo. You would think also that they would just like dis- like distribute <laughs> them. them. Yeah, disperse them. <laughs> I said distribute. Disperse them to like Either different way. places. Yeah, you know, I think they just are keeping them all in one little chunk so that they contain the evil. You don't want the evil spread across a large radius. No, you definitely you know? don't. Also, I'm waiting for two and there's only two left and I have one of them. So one of them, I think I might be able to get the podcast research gods with. I'm kind of wondering there's one that I have that when I first started reading this I was waiting for and I was like oh of course so that's my number two but there's another one that I'm like it better be your number one all right well I'll just give you one more time it is a twofer I'm waiting two We're down to the final two spots on our countdown of cold-blooded California killers. And number two is Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker. Ramirez had the entire city of Los Angeles on edge during his string of break-ins and brutal murders in 1985. It was word of Ramirez's brutality that got around the city and terrified the whole town. If you can alarm one of the nation's largest cities with your actions, you may very well be the devil. Ramirez was just 22 years old when he moved from Texas to California in 1982. So not a native Californian, but it's the state where he'd make a name for himself in the worst way. Yeah, California did not even want him. No. Ramirez's break-ins lacked any motive or reasoning for how he chose his targets. That was the worst part. Again, it's scarier when there's no motive. You could literally be any age, gender, and anywhere all across the greater LA area plus Orange County and San Francisco. You were not safe anywhere. Yeah, there was nothing to tell where he was going to strike, who, when, why. 
anything. Well, and it's because if he's already around this many counties, who's to say he's not just going to add a new one? Exactly. He just seemed to land wherever the evil voices took him. Literally. His MO was often to sneak into homes that had unlocked doors and or windows. Fresh air is for dead people. Exactly. And usually assaulted his victims while they were sleeping, which is so scary. You're mm-hmm. at your most vulnerable and you can't not sleep. No, what you do have you do? to sleep. The first recorded Night Stalker killing was in June 1984. In early 1985, a string of children being kidnapped and assaulted were also tied to Ramirez, which absolute monster. Child murderers or child abductors are just a different kind of Yeah, a different kind of evil. You can't describe it. As CBS reported, quote, before his 26th birthday, he would kill at least 13 more people and commit at least 11 sexual assaults. See, that's the other crazy thing to me when these like young men or young women have numbers that high. Before his 26th birthday. Like, dude, I'm 25 right now. That's wild. It's insane. He was savage, to say the least. Shooting or stabbing his victims and even using a tire iron. He just didn't care. No. He'd use whatever was there. Ramirez was famously caught and captured, though, by ordinary yet brave citizens in East L.A. He was reportedly happy to see the police officers arrive because he needed protection from the mob. The video of that is the best thing since sliced bread. One of the greatest, like, serial killers being caught stories, or maybe the greatest. I would say the greatest. Yeah, I can't even think or of Or maybe, like, better. side by side with Golden State Killer. Of course. And it's, like, California was not having him anymore. No. And they were just, like... Nope, we're just going to chase you down. He was so scared that he was happy the police came there, which shows you what a little turd he is. Right. Amazing. And the picture of him all like beat up in the police car, and he's like, meh. And, but, it's and great. The annoying thing about that is he was like, oh, like, poor me, meh. And Help then he me. goes to his trial and he starts doing like all this stupid stuff, yeah, like putting pentagrams axe. on his hands. It's yeah. like, we know you're not as like, quote unquote, tough as you come yeah. off. What a tough guy you are. Yeah. Well, the LA Times wrote that after his arrest, he told a sheriff's deputy, quote, I love to kill people. I love watching people die. I love all that blood. Again, I feel like that's just like theatrics. Yeah, at this point, it's like womp womp. It's like the Charlie Brown adults. Okay, Richard. Shut up. Thankfully, old Stinky Breath was caught in September 1985. Because remember, a lot of people said the reason they were able to say it was him who attacked them, his breath smelled like wet leather. Wet leather. Wet leather. Ew. Old stinky breath. That's like wet dog on another level. Yeah. That's, oh, I just like thought of the smell and it made he me used to, And He used to just like eat candy and drink yeah. the, like soda and not brush his teeth. His teeth like, were just rotting, rotting out of his head. Oh, ew, I can't. Well, his trial concluded in 1989. He was convicted on every count, including 13 counts of murder and some 30 additional felony charges. He died while on death row in 2013. Rest in distress. Yup. One. And that brings us to number one on our countdown of the top 10 cold-blooded California killers, Leonard Lake and Charles Ng. Okay, I know these guys, and now I'm like, oh, okay. Is that who's not the one I was thinking of? Oh, okay. But I'll yell about it later. You'll have your moment. I will. All right. Well, this is a rare case of two serial killers working together. During the mid-1980s, these two kidnapped, tortured, and murdered possibly as many as 25 people. 
They held victims captive as their quote-unquote sex slaves in a remote cabin about 150 miles east of San Francisco. As if it wasn't terrible enough, they videotaped some of their cold-blooded actions. Leonard Lake and Charles Ng were both Marines who eventually bonded over their discharge from service. Lake's dismissal from the military was for medical reasons. Ng had done some jail time for stealing automatic weapons from a military base in Hawaii. Some casual stuff going on. Very. To give you a broad stroke idea of the way they were also emotionally connected in a disturbing way, both men had a morbid fascination with the John Fowles book, The Collector. The main character in that book kidnaps a woman to keep as his possession. Like, let me just wave the brightest red flag in the air for you all right at this moment. Yeah, I just see like a field of red flags. Yeah, strawberry fields forever. Mm -hmm. Well, their love of the book went to insane new levels when they put their criminal plan in motion and named it after a character in Fowl's book, Operation Miranda. Their MO was this. They would kidnap women and bring them back to a secluded cabin in the woods where they had built a small cinder block bunker, which like building a bunker for people that again, just adds another level of scary. Yeah, because how long were they taking to build that bunker? All that time they're thinking about what they're doing. They're justifying what they're doing. Knowing full well what this is for. Yeah. Authorities say the hidden bunker was quote, a six and a half by three and a half foot room with only a bucket and toilet paper inside. I hate this. Hate it. It also had a two-way mirror so that they could watch their victims. Jeez. Ugh. Their motivation was to get these women to become their possessions, their sex slaves, and they recorded their crimes. There are evil videos showing them attacking victims and in one case, admitting to what they're doing. Leonard Lake popped up in a video from October of 1983 saying, quote, I'm a realist. I'm not particularly attractive to women. Still, I'm very sexually active. What I want is an off-the-shelf sex partner. He's right about one thing. He is a toadstool. He looks like a bridge troll. He's like what the bridge trolls would not hang out with. Like bridge trolls would run away from him. Like bridge trolls would be like, oh, no. Sorry, you you can't be here. Sorry. You can't sit with us. This is also where you wonder if there are friends or family around. Like, do you guys have anybody else to talk to? Or you may be wondering, what do these two do for jobs? I am. How can you afford to build a jail cell for your victims? How? Turns out, Leonard Lake most likely killed his own brother and stole his identity, belongings, and money. Wow, that checks out. Like, killed his own brother. Yeah. The other horrifying reality was that Lake and Ng weren't just kidnapping these victims. They were also killing them and burying them in the area around the cabin. According to LA Times, when investigators first went to the cabin, they found a killing field, a mass graveyard. Horrifying. That's a nightmare. And again, imagine being like the person that like stumbles across that. Yeah. And all of a sudden you're realizing that this is a literal mass grave. And like, obviously you feel some kind of relief because you're finding the people responsible, but then this is what you find. But it's so much worse than you could have thought. I can't even. Of all the horrific things they had done, it was shoplifting that brought them down. According to LA Times, in 1985, the two were stealing from a lumber yard in South San Francisco. I'm so glad they're dumb. Like, didn't you steal your brother's money? Why are you? Yeah. I can't. Leonard Lake was arrested, but Ng escaped and actually made it to Canada. 
During his interrogation, Leonard Lake killed himself. And in July of 1985, Charles Ng reportedly wounded a security guard and was arrested in Canada after trying to shoplift again. Sticky fingers McGee over like, here. For real, calm down. Ng served four and a half years in prison before Canada finally extradited him to the U.S. in September of 1991. Charles Ng's trial began in 1998. Prosecutors started off by showing clips from some of the disturbing videos that the two killers Ooh. recorded. I can't imagine being in that courtroom. Yeah, there's certain times being on a jury would be really tough. Because that would just change you forever. Yeah. And like, especially this part. In one of the most eerie clips, the LA Times reported that Ng can be seen attacking a young woman and telling her, quote, you can cry like the rest of them, but it won't do you any good. We're pretty cold hearted. Pretty? We're pretty Pretty cold-hearted. On a scale of one to 10, I'd say we're like a six. I'm going to go ahead and say you're like full-blown cold-hearted. Yeah. And also just, I, oh my gosh. In 1999, Ng was convicted and he was sentenced to death. Again, like the others on this countdown, as of this recording, he's still sitting on death row at San San Quentin Quentin State State Prison. Prison. We need to get someone to put like a curse or something on that death row so that it that evil doesn't like lurk out. Somebody needs to put like a binding spell on there. Us. Okay, we, we gotta get like, something needs to be done. There's too much evil being housed in one place. I'll see you after this with the okay, candles. Okay, we'll fix it guys, don't worry. Awesome. So that was definitely number one. It was, but I... Here's your time to shine, I was expecting the Hillside Stranglers to be on here. And especially, I'm sure, because I kept saying I had a twofer. Yes, you kept saying I have a twofer, and I'm like, oh, it's Angelo Buono and Kenneth Bianchi. Yep. For sure. I know, I was surprised they weren't here. One of the most terrible cases I've ever read. We're covering it on Morbid, actually. But... Wow. Yeah, the whole list was like really bonkers. I was expecting the Golden State Killer to be on here too. Oh, yeah. But I mean, I think we maybe just have to have another one of these. <laughs> I was going to say California is just to the brim. There's so many. This could absolutely so be a series. We could absolutely do another one, I think. I think the podcast research gods did a very good job. They did a great job. You missed the Hillside Stranglers. Yeah, though. they belonged here. <laughs> I gotta say, I just gotta get you. We <laughs> haven't got you in a while. It's been a while. <laughs> well, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another great episode. Remember to follow Crime Countdown on Spotify to get a brand new episode delivered every week. You can find all episodes of Crime Countdown and all other podcast shows for free on Spotify. And if you like this show, follow at Parcast on Facebook and Instagram and at Parcast Network on Twitter. And if you like us, which I hope you do because you made it all the way through this one, which is impressive, then you can listen to our other podcast, Morbid. And you can also follow us on Instagram at Morbid Podcast or on Twitter at Amy morbid podcast and we hope you keep it weird until monday but like maybe change your vacation that you had planned in california yeah come to the east coast see you soon crime countdown is executive produced by max cutler and is a spotify original from podcast it was created by max cutler sound design by Kristen acevedo with associate sound design by kevin mcalpine fact checking by anya bayerly research by rachel melenkoff It's produced by John Cohen, Kristen Acevedo, and Jonathan Ratliff, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro. We're your hosts, Ash Kelly and Elena Urquhart. Hey, partners, it's Carter from Parcast. You've probably heard stories about outlaw Jesse James, sharpshooter Annie Oakley, 
and the horrors of the Donner Party, but how much of what you've heard is actually true? Find out on my new series, Wild Wild West, where I head out on the frontier to find the facts, learn the lore, and tackle the tallest of tales. Follow the Spotify original from ParCast, Wild Wild West, every Thursday, free, and only on Spotify. Spotify.